Now, as we continue in Colossians, we have mentioned that the Apostle Paul had never visited the Colossian church, yet he had a dear relationship with them. He was a spiritual grandfather, if you will, of of the believers there at Colossae. Uh, You remember that Paul had led a man named Epaphras to the Lord. He discipled, discipled Epaphras. And Epaphras was the one who led the Colossians to Christ and then established the church there. Now, unfortunately, uh, the Colossian church was being plagued by false teaching. They believed, uh, or some believed, that they loved Christ, but they had to have additional elements of understanding for fullness, completeness in Him. And so in response, Paul wrote this wonderful letter to them. Last Lord's Day, Pastor Sykes focused on the first three verses of chapter 2 with his sermon entitled Focus on the Gospel. Today we'll look at part 2 of that focus on the Gospel as we read through verse 5. So this is the reading of God's Word, Colossians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those that Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, Rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Let us pray. Our Father, as we come before you with our burdens and our joys, we pray that for a moment you would unburden our hearts to focus upon the things of greatest importance that you have given to us in Jesus Christ. O come Holy Spirit, make known to us the meaning of these great words. Write them upon our hearts for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, if you are a visitor, or perhaps even as a long-term member, it is a little bit bold, perhaps a little stark, to open worship with this call to worship from King David's Psalm of Confession of Sin, Psalm 51, where we proclaimed, Have mercy on me, O God. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. And yet when we begin worship in this manner, when we offer our prayer of adoration and confession, we accept our spiritual condition before the Lord apart from Christ. That we are people dead in our trespasses and sin. We experience though the profound provision that we have in Jesus Christ, the one who offered his life and death so that we might live. It allows us as a people to remain humble before the Lord and before one another, and yet also joyful in our praise of God. When we know his forgiveness resting in his sacrificial love demonstrated upon the cross, we praise our God as we did this morning, as we do each week, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of His grace. 
with steadfast and joyful focus on the Gospel, we look to Jesus Christ for all of life, both individually and yet also corporately as a church. With the Apostle Paul, with focus upon Christ, we embrace this need for prayer. For all that we do is dependent upon Him. We embrace purpose, a deliberate discovery of Jesus Christ. And we also realize thirdly that there is a process, a disciplined joy that helps us in our journey. But let's first begin with this necessity of prayer, of dependent ministry upon God Himself. And this is where Paul in this first verse mentions his great struggle on behalf of those that he had not even seen face to face. Now in context, in this tug of war and bathing ministry and prayer, Paul's struggle reflects the diligent effort of an athlete in an athletic contest. Straining forward with all of his or whole being, facing the demands of the contest, which does take its toll on the body. Paul's struggle, though, is not physical. It's spiritual. Prayer and action through exhortation, knowing that we strain in ministry with the blessing of the Spirit, our ministry is so dependent on Jesus Christ. For only the Spirit can renew the heart and bless us with eternal fruit for our efforts. Now in Paul's struggle, the church's spiritual well-being was his concern. He was investing his life in them even from afar so that they would be found mature, complete in our Savior. As an apostle, his primary task was to preach the gospel, to plant churches. It required hard work on his part, even for those he had not seen. So he was about preaching and teaching the truth. Discipling young believers to the Lord, gathering them into communities of faith, counseling them, and above all, praying for them. You may ask, well, why all this in the frame of struggling? Well, there's a couple of reasons. First and foremost, I guess there's two reasons. The church is the body of Christ, indwelled by the Holy Spirit, purchased by the blood of the Lamb, a representative of our Savior in the world. So secondly, Paul struggled so that others could know Christ and become part of God's family. Likewise, we strain in ministry for the sake of the stability of our faith, which is dependent upon Jesus Christ. We need His strength, His blessing, as Rivermont seeks the renewing of lives through God's compelling love in Lynchburg and the world. Now, through Christ, we do see a number of vibrancies here in verse 2. They're life-changing matters that God helps us with. For example, we need Christ for spiritual encouragement. This is spiritual with a capital S. We need the blessing of God Almighty changing us, fortifying us from the inside out. Secondly, though, we need Christ to bless us with mutual love. False teachers were telling these people, oh, we have this knowledge. We have this knowledge that is great. It will really complete you. It will give you a deeper wisdom of God. It will give you a deeper power and experience. And the Apostle Paul is saying, well, let me tell you about the type of knowledge that we preach. 
The kind of knowledge I preach is powerful and effective. It will secure your soul for eternity. It will set you free from the bondage to sin and it will produce mutual love among my people. This mutual love is not puffed up. It's not arrogant. It doesn't look out for its own, but it looks for the interest of others. It is self-giving by its very nature. Christ's love builds true fellowship across the normal lines of human relationships, even across family bounds, even across the bounds of friendship, and across the bounds of nationality or, or ethnicity. Things that may divide us, the love of Christ pulls us together. Why? Again, because this love is rooted in our Savior and nothing else. Thirdly, though, we need Christ for deep assurance, assured assured that Christ loves us and that He is for, for us. We need that as a settled conviction, dear family of God. This assurance leads us to healthy and fruitful Christian experience. That's why Paul talks about the riches, the wealth of assurance. For our standing in Christ enables us to turn a Aside, enticing words that might call, that may cause us to go astray, that assurance in Jesus allows us to turn to Him in all of life. And finally, of course, we need Jesus for real saving knowledge of our future with Him. Now the key here as we focus on Christ is that Christ compels us to join the Apostle Paul in his struggle for the church and his people. Our desire is to see the church stable and strong to the glory of our God. And there's a truth here. No matter how young you are this morning, six, seven, or eight years of age, no matter how old you are, 60, 70, 80 years of age, you all have had a number of people who have struggled for you to produce something special, special, which is your growing relationship in Jesus Christ. Whether you're a babe in the Lord, by that I mean young, short time with Christ, or you're a seasoned saint, there have been many who have labored to keep you focused on your Savior. Now, if you've been in the church, there are those who are laboring faithfully for you. Some of them you don't even know. You don't even know the times that elders and deacons get on their knees knees and pray for you. They labor for you. We have people from far off places that are praying for Rivermont. Some call us the Rivermonts. Some are missionaries. Some are former members living in other places. And they let me know from time and time, from time to time, that they are faithfully praying for God's people here in this church. They are laboring. They are straining for us in our walk with Jesus. When Sunday school teachers prepare, when concerned members visit to offer encourage and pray, they are laboring. You'll never know the number of hours that have gone in to this struggle so that you and I would be found faithful in Jesus Christ. Now, if you're a guest today, maybe you don't have a home church. Maybe you don't have a close relationship with Jesus Christ. There's already been a lot of labor for you too. I want you to know it. As a matter of fact, there are people here today that gladly labor in the Lord for your help and well-being in Jesus Christ. Now, it's wonderful to ask the question, what's the purpose, in case you haven't 
heard it yet. What's the purpose of all this labor, all this struggle? Why do we have choirs leading in worship? Why do we pledge to have our children raised in the love and admonition of the Lord? Why do we have teachers, facilitators leading Bible study for disciples of all ages? Why do we care for one another with deliberate prayer and expressions of love? Why do we embrace mission at home and in our neighborhoods and in Lynchburg and the world? Well, that is fairly straightforward in these verses. It comes to our second point that there is purpose, deliberate discovery of Jesus Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So our struggle, our labor in the Lord is for our worship and our community, our mission to maintain our true focus on the gospel, which is Jesus Christ himself. The purpose of all my effort, Paul writes, is that you will get the mystery. Well, what's the mystery again? It is Jesus. It is Christ. It's the Messiah. He's the mystery. The key to everything is Christ. And of course, I know you say, okay, Pastor Ron, we know that's your job. Everything is about Christ. That's what you tell us. But it's true. It's so true. It's a mystery because God Himself had to reveal this truth for it to make sense. That we as sinners, we have need of a Savior. We need the Lord Jesus Christ as our Redeemer. And so we labor to present Jesus Christ as supreme, as sufficient. He is the supreme God of the universe, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the sustainer of all things. In Him all things are held together, and it is by His blood He is reconciling all things to Himself. He is the Savior. He is Lord. In Christ we find all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He desires for us to explore the resources available to us in Christ. So our understanding of Him in which we find all these riches is so important. Why? Because, dear family, if we don't labor to discover our riches in Christ, we can be set adrift. If we don't understand who Jesus really is, all that He makes available to us, Without this understanding, sometimes we will fail to trust in Him and we will unnecessarily fret. Without Him, we have mounting fear and restless lives. So we need gospel focus to do everything with the blessing that comes in knowing Him who is supreme and all-sufficient in all of life. Now, the danger, of course, is that we might stray off course. Paul knew that, so that's why he is encouraging us so that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. You know, there's always this danger that Christians can veer off course listening to the newest and the latest teaching that claims some new insight or new revelation. And beyond false teachers, so many other things conspire to keep us from being focused. You know, think about it. With life's pressures, we can become discouraged and lose our focus. With family and friends, there are times when we can let conflict pull our attention away from Christ. That's why Paul isn't telling us to be encouraged in heart and united in love. Someone once said, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. 
Christ is the main thing, dear family, for you and for me. He provides all we need. All we need. So let's cultivate our relationship in Him in such a way that Christ is at the center of our being. He's not on the periphery. That's our purpose with this assurance that we are complete in Him. He gives us everything we need. So when the whisperer comes and he says that you need Christ plus a few other things, Paul is encouraging us to recognize that this is a false prophet. For if we know that we are complete in Christ, we are complete in Him. We focus on Him, getting to know Him better and increasing intimacy and increasing all through the Word of God in fellowship with His people. And from this prayer and from this purpose, we finally move on thirdly to this dynamic that there is a process of disciplined joy. And this is where Paul is able to rejoice that he found the Colossians, and I believe he would find those here at Rivermont, in good order with firmness of faith in Christ. Now think of this. If we're going to focus on the Gospel, we must plan to be focused. It requires discipline. As we have physical discipline to achieve physical goals, we must have spiritual discipline to achieve spiritual goals. In spiritual discipline, we all order our lives in such a way that Jesus remains focal, forefront. He's everything. It is building into our lives sufficient time and opportunity opportunity to get to know Jesus better. Praising the Colossian church, Paul said that he was thrilled that they were orderly in practice. This is his good order. Firm in their faith. They were disciplined in their walk with the Lord. They knew what it took to be in Bible study and to be in fellowship and to be in prayer. They knew what it was to come together and to experience that together as a family of God. They knew their treasure in Christ and understood how they were trying to build their relationship. They were disciplined. They were disciplined people. We know this principle at work. In order to have the prize, we have to discipline ourselves. If a runner wants to finish, well, what does he do? He has to spend time in discipline practice. Or think of this. If a student wants to become a lawyer, he goes to law school and then spends many years studying law, all aspects of the law. Or if someone aspires to be a nurse or a doctor, she plans going to nursing school or medical school and spend Spends years studying medicine. So if you're going to know Christ in His richness, you must also discipline yourself to worship, to study, to pray, to serve. You develop a plan and you follow that plan. And that's why we're so committed here at Rivermont to worship, to community, to mission. For we know that everything we need is in Jesus Christ. And there is this hope as we pursue discipline. You know, if you become discouraged by your Christian life, if you often feel the weight of condemnation, perhaps for mistakes or sin that you've made, if you think God has a low opinion of you or is often frustrated by your efforts, if you believe your good works get you higher marks on His judgment's scale, you need to preach the gospel to yourself. You know, performance 
in many ways, is the default mode of every one of us. Thinking we have to do good works to please God and even to please other people. Our identities have been wrapped up in our own accomplishments, the opinions of others, and even the spiritual disciplines we practice sometimes gets us into trouble rather than trusting in the all-saving work of Jesus Christ. Author Jerry Bridges, who was called home to be with the Lord last year, he wrote to remind us to remember the gospel by preaching it to ourselves on a daily basis. If God's love for us is to be a solid foundation stone of devotion, we must realize that His love is all of grace. And it rests completely upon the work of Christ upon the cross and it flows through our union with Him. And praise God, Jesus has already made the first move. He has reached out to us in love. He gave His life for us on the cross. He died there to pay for our sins. He was and is never passive. He wasn't passive. He was never passive. He is not passive this day. Christ's love will never change regardless of what we do in our daily experience. We have all sorts of spiritual ups and downs, sin, failure, disappointment, all of which tend to make us question God's love. But when we anchor ourselves in the richness of the assurance that God is for us, He's not against us, we can learn to move forward with great joy. So how do we embrace all the riches of this full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery in Christ? Keep that clear and steady focus on the Gospel. Know that what it means to be at enmity with God and to have God in Christ remove that enmity through His own death upon the cross. Give humble thanksgiving to the enormous price of our redemption and the necessity of the bloody sacrifice of Jesus Christ upon the cross on our behalf. Remember that we have nothing to offer God sufficient for our salvation, that the only sacrifice that is sufficient was the sacrifice of Jesus upon the cross. And this morning, if you are struggling with the wealth of our assurance, I offer you no better advice than this. Immerse yourself in the Gospel. Study it. Look at it. Think upon it. Feed your soul upon the Gospel of Jesus Christ. For in doing so, you will grasp yet again and yet anew the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ. There is nothing grander than knowing our Savior. Let us pray. Dear Father, we are Yours. We long for and seek a fuller expression of the graces which are all hidden in Christ. I pray, O God, for those who have come today, perhaps without the Savior. May they leave from here in Your arms. We give You praise in all the glory. We thank You that we've been blessed and made rich in our Savior. Help us to be firm and forever thankful of these things. We pray in His name. Amen.